0: Cost, who had taught at the seminary for about 60 years, um, taught for 60 years. So I asked him one time, you ever heard any, when's the last time you heard the original question? He said, about 30 years ago. <laughs> because the same questions get, get recycled. But he donated his library to us down in Houston. Uh, I was the, the dean down there. And, uh, and so while I was visiting up at the, the campus, I asked him, What are you using to study? I mean, you know, you don't have any commentaries. All your books are gone. And the only book that was on his shelf was the Bible. And he said, I've become a student of one book. I recommend you do the same. (laughs) Funny story. We were just moved into my office. My son built his bookshelves. And I gave away about 30 boxes of books to a friend. But we had about 50 still to go. And so uh, we built. Uh, we're moving all these boxes of books, and my son says, "Yeah, student, one book, right?" <laughs> <laughs> lots. Yeah. but uh, uh, but anyway, so so seminary students love to to buy books, and and, uh, um, and so they perk up when I tell them, you know, one someone will ask, "Do you, do you have any authors that you like, or any anyone you recommend?" I say, yeah, there's one in particular who's, who's exceptionally good. Yeah. It's Paul. Yeah. They're not excited about that. You know, they want, they want somebody to tell them what the Bible says rather than to read the Bible. Because they, they think the Bible's hard to understand. Well, it is hard. And if we read it, the way we read it, it's exceedingly difficult to understand. Um, If you stop and ask, what does this actually mean? What's he actually saying? Rather than just skimming it and finding verses that you like, that you can hang on your wall or put on a magnet or put on your refrigerator. But if you actually try to figure out what's he actually saying, uh, then you have to read it. I was talking to one of our other professors and uh, I'm trying to think of a of the, the uh the title but we're going to a journal article together um to explain that when the bible says we it doesn't mean us and when the bible says y'all it doesn't mean us and the when the bible says i it's not you and when the bible says me it's not you and the and so, so we isn't us, y'all aren't us, I'm not us, you're not us. You know, when, when Paul says to Timothy, you, uh, gives them a imperative, that that's not you. Um, and it seems like common sense. Uh, but the problem is, I've been teaching at the seminary now. I started so in 17 years, and uh, I still catch myself doing it. I still catch myself doing it. So, um, it's not easy, right? Uh, So, when Paul, so Paul writes Romans, yes? Let's just, let's do this kindergarten style. This is my, I like this, right? Because when we go through it just real simply, we go, oh, yeah, it makes sense. Paul writes Romans to the Romans. Good. We'll go slow. Are you a Roman? No. no. So was Paul writing this letter to you or no. us no. or me? No. No. Now, I hesitate to even say this at this point, but if I don't, then I'll, I've got to, got to kind of keep the application, folks. Okay, we're, just, just hold your horses. We're not saying that it doesn't, it's not for our edification. We're not saying there's nothing to learn from, right? But we're saying it's not written up. Um, In the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and uh, Deuteronomy, the Pentateuch, the first five, Torah. Who wrote those? Moses. 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 Who did he write them to? The Israelites. Which Israelites? Of that day. <laughs> Forever. <laughs> who were going into the promised Promise land. land. Good. Good. Uh, and then we've got uh, Joshua and Judges and Ruth and Samuel and Kings. All of the Old Testament books. Who were they written to? The Jews. To the Jews. Were they written by Jews? Yes. They were written by Israelites to the Israelites. Every book, even the books that were written about uh, Nineveh, for example, Nahum, were written to the Jews. So ask yourself, why does Israel need to know the story of a prophet named Jonah on Nineveh? Or Nahum's? pronouncement of a future judgment coming upon a foreign nation. Does that make sense? Matthew and Mark Luke Let's stick with the the twelve. The twelve disciples we need to include Judas Iscariot in this discussion. Jews or Gentiles? Jews. Then Judas gets himself removed from the twelve and he's replaced by Jew. Matthias, who was a? Jew. Jew, Jew. good. Um, Paul was a? Jew. Jew. James? Peter? John? You see in the, right, there's a pattern here. There is a question about whether Luke was a Gentile or a Jew. Go either way. Um, Even Luke writing to Theophilus. Are you with me? Luke writes to Theophilus. So when you're reading the Gospel of Luke, it is a a, a book, a a work, written by someone to someone. Yes? Mm -hmm. Yes. What purpose? Set in chronological order. Uh, Well, that's how, but that's not (laughs) what the purpose is. Give an account of the things which were accomplished among us. Who's us? Who wrote it? Luke. Yeah. So us would include Luke. If I'm going too fast, I can smoke. It's funny. But after 20 years, I realized this. 20, uh, 20 years of studying uh and doing this full time. I realized this. I went. I should have realized, not the sharpest tool in the shed, I should have realized this earlier. And so the us language, other than quotes where Paul is, or where Luke is quoting someone, you know, disappears from Luke right after this. Just as those who were eyewitnesses from the beginning handed them down to us. Who are the, those who were eyewitnesses from the beginning? The disciples. Disciples handed them down to us. Us who? Luke and- The others. Not just Luke because he says us. There we go. Now we're cooking with hot grease. Forget it. Um, So you're going, I wonder who the us is. Who is the us group? So so that, that language disappears in Luke and then it shows up not in Luke, which was the first work, uh, the things which uh, you know, Christ began to do and teach. But the second work, which is the book of Acts. Acts. And so Luke and Acts go together. First letter, second letter. The us language shows back up in chapter 20 of Acts. Then we went here, then we did this, then we did that. Okay. So the book of Acts the account of the things which were handed down to us Luke, uh, all the way up until Paul. See, Paul is in the us group with Luke. Who else is in that group? There's Paul, there's Luke, there's Barnabas, there's Timothy, right? So, so you start to build uh, this, this group and um, from the story. Is that making sense? So, we, uh, you, do you expect you to be singular or plural when Luke says you? Probably. Written to Theophilus. Oh, singular. Mm-hmm. Good. Uh, Paul writes to Timothy. Do you expect those those yous to be singular or plural? Thank singular. Titus. Sing it okay. to Philemon. Sing it to the Galatians. Plural. Plural. To the Ephesians. Plural. Plural. To the Corinthians. Plural. Plural. <laughs> uh, let's talk about Corinthians for a second. I want you to start to get a feel for how this, this actually. Because what you're doing is you're seeing the you and you're saying it's you, and then you're putting yourself in there and you're interpreting it that way. And then you're not understanding it. How the Bible's hard to understand. You with me? Are you singular, the temple? No. Both. <laughs> Everything, well, there it comes. You got verses banging around in your head, don't you? (laughs) Do you not know that you are the temple of God? But it's plural. Both in Ephesians and in Corinthians, Paul uses this temple language to refer to y'all. Do you not know that the Spirit dwells in the temple? So he uses uh, the analogy of a temple or a building. He uses the analogy of a body. What's the body in Paul's, all of Paul's writing? The church. Body, he's talking church. church. When he wants to talk about an individual in the body, he doesn't call it body, he calls it a member. Member, but to each one a measure of grace was given for the building up of the body. Gave some as apostles and some as prophets, and some as prophets. this is Ephesians chapter. for the building up of the body for works of service until we all attain. All right. uh, Corinthians he does the same thing. Talks about members in the body and the giftedness of the individual member for the building up of the body or the temple. Now, so for the first 1,600 years of the church or more, because it took a while for a different teaching to catch on, everybody in the church knew and realized uh, that the spirit of God dwells in the body. The spirit dwells in the temple. As it did in the Old Testament. But the Temple was a place in the Old Testament. It is a people in the New Testament. But it still uh, dwells, uh, I don't know what's going on here. Must have got an email. Uh, it still dwells, but the spirit still dwells in the temple. Do y'all not know that the spirit of God dwells in y'all? And in the body, there are the spirit gives a measure to each one for the building up of the body for works of service so that we all participate in the building up of a body because not all are prophets are. Not all are teachers are. Not all are apostles are. Not all have the gift of, of administration. Do they? Right, you with me? Not all have the gift of mercy. I have the gift of mercy, but you clowns don't. <laughs> not quite so much. I need people who have the gift of mercy. Uh, none of us have all of the gifts. We have a measure of price gift for the building up of his body. Does that make sense? No. Yes. So, as you're talking about remind us how this has to be a revelation. We're getting there. We're getting there. If you could just give right. us a little... Okay, well, it's, no, reading is important. I teach a class called Advanced Hermeneutics. It's the dumbest class we have at the seminary. Advanced Hermeneutics. Hermeneutics is a fancy word um, about the fear, the the art and practice of interpretation, Uh, which there is no art to it and you're all already doing it. You do it all day, every day. When you're driving your car, and you see this little red octagon sign with the, this letter, uh, four-letter word, and, and you stop. Why did you stop? Because you're using your hermeneutic. <laughs> you interpreted the sign, and you, you responded appropriately. We all can listen to it. You're hearing it. So so it's the dumbest class ever. Uh, I just try to get people to read the Bible the way they read everything else in their whole entire life. So if I picked up something that said, to the seven churches, you would say, this is a letter to the seven churches. See how we go. To the seven churches. This is a letter to me. No, it's not. No, it does relate to you. Why does it relate to you? Because in these 66 books of of books that are written by Jews, 64 at least are written by Jews. And if if Luke is a Gentile, it's 64. If Luke's not a Gentile, it's us. If he's a Jew, it's all 66, right? Written to mostly Jews. We'll talk about that. Talk about Paul's letters. But those letters, begin uh, these these works begin where? Where's the first book? The book of the Bible. Where's the first book begin? What's the setting in the first book? In the beginning. beginning. And what's the setting in the end of the last book? At the end. At the end. Okay. Are we in the middle? Yes. Is this God controlling the beginning to the end? Don't you think? It might be relevant to us to know what's going on here. Right? And the way we learn that is by reading what he wrote to them then and there, so we can understand how it's going to go for us here and now. Does it make any sense? Turn yeah. okay. to Romans chapter one. Paul. All right, so let me put this up here for us. We're gonna put uh uh let me see if I can get this going. I've got to go back over here. Okay, we need to do some screen sharing here. Shared screen. Are y'all seeing this? You're not seeing that. It's 11 o'clock. Technology is not my friend. Okay, here we go. All right, so let's look at Romans. Romans 1. Paul. A bond servant of Jesus Christ. I'd love to stop there and talk about that. Called as an apostle. Called. What does that mean? The Bible never talks about anyone being called as a pastor. Did you know that? Was Paul called as an apostle? Yes. Talk you. you have a story? Yeah. He was walking along this road, going to, and? Your master's. Light, and? To persecute. Why do you persecute? Who do I, yeah. yeah, call. Okay, so if you had a vision with light and voices, we might need to talk about your calling. Now, I say we might need to talk about it. Wow. Did Joseph Smith claim he had a calling? Oh, yeah. Or Laman claimed he had a calling? Oh, yeah. <laughs> So I don't particularly care about your experience of your calling unless the result of your calling, unless the words that you're proclaiming match the words of the Old Testament. So is going to be relevant to Paul. You with me? Uh, the other apostles, what, what is their appeal? When, when, when the apostles, uh, John, Peter, James, whoever, uh, what do they fall back on when they say, why should we listen to you? They were with Jesus. Number one, uh, we saw him. Our hands handled him. We heard his words, the words which came from the Father through the Son. So we saw, we touched, we heard. Have you seen Jesus? No. Have you touched Jesus? No. Have you heard him? Literally. No. I heard a voice. My son works with some troubled kids. Um, teach counseling at the seminary. We have people hearing voices all the time. Um, Is that what John means when he says, we heard his voice? No. He talked, uh, we touched him, doubting Thomas put his fingers in those holes, right? And then Jesus' response to him is, because you have seen and you've touched, you believe. Blessed are those in its past tense who did not see and believe. It. Did Isaiah see Jesus? He heard they longed to see his death. That's that sound familiar? But they never did. So Peter and James and John and the, and the, the, the 12 appeal to, we were with, on the Holy Mount, we were with him on the Holy Mount when the voice came from heaven saying, this is my son, my beloved son, listen to him. And so we, this is in Second uh, Peter chapter two, so we have the prophetic word made more sure in the chapter one, which you would do well to, uh, pay attention to. We have the prophetic word, what's, what's he talking about? Here? We have the Old Testament prophetic word concerning Jesus made more sure because that which was foretold about his words and works, we witnessed. And then he left to go with the Father and he left us in the world so that we can proclaim to you. Because if we don't proclaim to you, you got nothing. that makes sense? You can't tell me a single thing about Jesus. Nothing. Apart from the words of the apostles and prophets. Nothing. He's say, what about Josephus? Yeah, well, most Josephus scholars think that. For those who know that there's a reference to, to, to Christ in Josephus, Josephus scholars say it's probably a late addition. The church probably wrote that in there. Does that make Jesus less true? No, doesn't. It? Uh, in other words, they heard his. Now, did Paul walk with Jesus? Not, not during Jesus' life. Right? Paul does say that he spends three years. Uh, you know, training, um, what's Paul's appeal that Jesus says to Christ? Appeared to him. Paul is an apostle. Set apart for the gospel of God. But Paul's appeal to the person and work of Jesus is always the Old Testament. Now, um, is this making sense? Now, why was Paul a chosen? Called his apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand. (coughs) Did he promise it beforehand? The gospel which he promised beforehand. What was promised beforehand? The gospel of God. When? By who? The prophets. By the prophets? Where? In the Bible. Holy Scriptures. So if I asked you, what's the gospel? Where would you turn? Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53, Isaiah 53 is the, the suffering sermon. Uh, is gospel used? Is the word gospel used in the Old Testament? Yeah. It's not translated gospel. How's it translated? Good news. Good news. Turn uh, with me to Isaiah 52. Isaiah 52. Verse 7. How lovely on the mountains are the feet of him who bring the gospel, who bring good news, who announce peace. Okay, now, who in this context is that? Now, let me help. In chapter 8 of Isaiah, uh, talking about the Christ, 818, the book of Hebrews, chapter 2, verse 13, quotes 818 of Isaiah, saying it refers to Christ, uh, the Lord will become a sanctuary, but to Israel, a, a a stone to stumble over, a rock of a fence, right? Uh, and, and then it uh, it continues. Uh, bind up my uh, the testimony among my disciples. This is talking about the Christ. Bind up my testimony among the disciples, among my disciples. This is chapter 818. Which disciples? The same disciples that are in Isaiah chapter 50. Did you know that the promise of the disciples was in the Old Testament? Not only the promise of disciples was in the Old Testament, but in Isaiah 44 and 43, 43, 44, the promise of the witnesses, disciples, is in the Old Testament. Who are these people who are going to um, bless are the feet of those, those who bring tidings of good news? The feet. Whose feet are they that are going to, to announce this, this uh, good news? All to share? The disciples. In this book, in Isaiah, it's the disciples. You, you couldn't have anything to share unless they shared it first. Does that make sense? We have uh, this gospel handed down. How does that work? You remember Paul? What does Paul tell Timothy? These words... Which you have heard from me in the presence of, do what? Only witnesses and trust. People, man who are able to teach us. Not just men, men and women. It is handed down. In the early church, the most important doctrine in the early church, the most important appeal to, let's say it this way, the most important appeal to authority was apostolic succession. I was taught by Clement, who was taught by Paul, right? Faithful men taught faithful men taught faithful men. Uh, why was it men? Let's talk about that. Why was it faithful men? Uh, because the elder, elders were men. And there was no copy of the Bible. You couldn't have your New Living Translation in the first century. You know, a loose translation, like this Jesus is like awesome. You like yeah. lost, man. It's a very loose translation. Um, so where did you have to go to read the scriptures? You had to go in the synagogue and who was allowed in the synagogue? Only men and who taught. They think, and then, what were these men supposed to go out and do? Teach. Mm-hmm. To their families. Well, do you have any textual evidence of that? Uh, how many times in the Old Testament does it say father's teacher, son? In Proverbs, the exhortation to this king is to listen to the teaching of his father and do not reject the exhortations. So the fathers and the mothers were to teach their children. So there were youth pastors in the Old Testament. Did you know that they're just fathers and mothers, but they were to teach faithful men. Are you with me? Passed down, passed down. Okay. So, uh, so here's the so awake now. Let's so say well, where do we go to, for the gospel? Here's the gospel, and it's not going to sound like what you think the gospel is. But we'll sort that out. This is important so that you know what Paul is teaching, why he's teaching and why the book of Revelation is necessary. Because you haven't received anything yet, except a promise. Awake, awake, clothe yourself in strength, O Zion. O Zion, what is that? Jerusalem. Mount Zion. Clothe yourself in beautiful garments, O Jerusalem. The holy city. Now at this time, Jerusalem was only on the city, on the on the hill. Okay. For the uncircumcised and the unclean will no longer come into you. Uh we uh went to Israel this year, and the uncircumcised and the unclean. <laughs> well, <laughs> Uncircumcised. What is he talking about here? Uncircumcised and unclean, non-Jew. Come into you. Hold your finger. Okay. Go to the end of the story. Turn to Revelation chapter twenty-two. Okay. Now this isn't where we go to get our. But let me just show you where this thing's headed. Um, It's talking about the New Jerusalem, New Heavens, New Earth, New Jerusalem. City coming down out of out of uh, heaven, um, and uh, and John describes the city: three gates on the north, three gates on the south, three on the east, three on the west. Right, twelve foundation stones, and I'm um, in verse fourteen, and there were twelve names uh, on the foundation stones, and these were the twelve apostles of Lamb. And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of uh to measure the city and. You twenty-two. Or 22. Uh, tw- I'm sorry, I'm twenty-one. 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 have his new word? Twenty-one. I say 22. Yeah, sorry. 22. I don't remember this at all. Yeah. <laughs> you must be reading in Greek because that's not what my chapter twenty-two says. I saw no temple in it, verse twenty-two. Twenty-one. Twenty-two. The Lord uh, God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple and the city has no need for the sun or the moon to shine upon it for the glory of God will illuminate it and its light, uh, its lamp is its light and the nations will walk by this light and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it and in daytime for there shall never be night its gates shall never be closed and they shall bring glory into it and honor from the nations into it and nothing unclean and no one who uh, practices abomination, actually who does abomination or lying shall ever come into it, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. No one uncircumcised, and no one unclean. Uncircumcised. I'm talking about physical circumcision. I'm a circumcision of the heart. Unclean. Are you clean? Jesse's not in here, so we can all. Oh, there you. Go. Okay. Well, then uh, we, we maybe we can't talk about it. Everybody, needs to be clean. Are are we all? If you're a believer in Christ, you are clean. How are you clean? By the blood. Okay, there you go. Okay, so no one uncircumcised, no one without a circumcised heart, and no one unclean shall ever enter into it again. Okay, back to Revel. uh, Back to Isaiah chapter fifty-two. For the uncircumcised and the unclean will never come into you. When does that happen? At the end. Okay, shake yourself from the dust, rise up, O captive Jerusalem. Why does he say, O captive Jerusalem? Is Jerusalem captive? Yes. Yeah, Isaiah is pronouncing this judgment that's coming upon uh, upon this nation. Uh, it says they're going to be hauled away by the Babylonians, uh, well, actually by the Assyrians early in the book, and then they're given a stay of execution uh, because the Assyrians surround the, the city. Then uh, uh, Hezekiah cries out to the Lord. The Lord gives him a stay of execution. He invites them, uh, the Babylonians into the temple. He says, well, the Babylonians are going to haul you. You're going into captivity. You're done. For seven years, Jeremiah says, and then we'll learn later that it's much longer than that. So, oh, captive Jerusalem. Loose yourself from the chains around your neck. Chains. Chains around your neck. Uh, the chains, the yoke. He interchangeable. The yoke around your neck. The chains around your neck. What yoke? What chains? The Gentile nations. Deuteronomy chapter 28. Isaiah chapter 9. right? Uh, that Christ, this Christ is going to come and he's going to remove the Gentile control from Israel. He's going to restore the kingdom to Israel, right? And he's going to remove the chains around their neck, remove the yoke of their oppression, the Gentiles. In Matthew, when Jesus is talking to Jews on a hill, and he says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke. yoke. That's Isaiah chapter, nine. That's Deuteronomy chapter 28, this chapter. 26, and I will give you rest. This is a judgment upon Israel that they will have no resting place for the soul of their foot. The Hebrews is going to talk about a rest that is anticipated, that is future, that is coming. You don't have rest right now. A few, you know, if if I said that in February, I might have got some pushback. <laughs> now you look like bank robbers. Okay. Hold <laughs> up the house. You know, ain't no rest. You can have joy, peace, and patience, and kindness, and goodness, and gentleness. So you can't have, you know, no rest. It's coming. But you don't have it yet. Israel was always looking for it. When does it come? Who brings rest? Messiah. When does he bring rest? At the end. Rest from what? Rest from who? Yeah. So who's he got to wipe out? He's going to wipe out Satan. He's going to wipe out all of his (coughs) sins. Then rest will come. Okay. For thus says the Lord, you were sold for nothing. You will be redeemed without money. What does that mean? None of this is Yiddish or hard to understand. If you read the first uh, 39 books, You know, or you read up at least to Isaiah. This would make perfect sense. You were sold for nothing. What does that mean? Means they were sold into captivity for nothing, and they'll be redeemed without money. What does that mean? How are they redeemed? They're not redeemed with money. Why were they sold into captivity? Disobedience. Their rebellion against the Lord and the rejection of the Lord and the rejection of His Messiah. And so they're sold into captivity. They go and they worship foreign gods, gods of the Gentiles. They're going to be redeemed. Are they going to be bought back? Yeah. Not with gold, or not with silver, which is perishing. That sounds like First Peter. I wish Todd Cast was here. Todd's one of my students. He's he's, uh, he's out with the COVID. He had no, COVID. He's oh, he's preaching today. He's preaching with the COVID. Did he have COVID last week? Whatever. <laughs> I can't keep up. <laughs> Whatever, yeah. Um, where was it? Oh, uh, but but Peter, uh, but Peter, uh, in uh, in First Peter, talks about this. You were not redeemed with gold or silver which perishes, but the thing which does not perish, which is what. Blood of Christ. Isaiah fifty three. That comes right after Isaiah fifty two okay good um christ dies uh uh for the sins of israel he was wounded for our iniquity he was uh you know he took all of his uh all of our iniquities, all of our sins upon him who's the hour in this context israel 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 now you keep reading isaiah 62 66. you keep reading and said, so, and you learned that it wasn't just for Israel; it was for the sins of the whole nation. Now, uh, Isaiah uh, sins of uh, I'm sorry, the sins of the whole world. In Isaiah 49, this is one of the servant songs. Just just listen, because it all it all makes. Sense. In Isaiah 49, one of the servant songs, who is the suffering servant? Jesus who is the suffering servant. Is Jesus, the only servant in Isaiah. No, Israel is called the servant as well. That's why when you talk to Jew and you talk about servant in Isaiah, they'll say, yeah, it's Israel. Sometimes it is. But this is a servant song talking about the Christ, the servant who comes to rescue the servant so that the servant would proclaim the name of the servant to the gentiles. So the servant Christ comes to uh, rescue the servant Israel so that the servant Israel Israel can proclaim the gospel to the gentiles. All oh, of you Yes. All a member of the servant Israel? Yes. Was redeemed by the servant Christ? Yes. And so God, the Father, listen to this, made Him who knew no sin, Jesus, to be sin on our behalf. Paul says, so that we may be the righteous of God in Him. And working together with Him, we exhort you, Corinthians. Are Corinthians Jews or Gentiles? Gentiles. So in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, you have two groups, we and y'all, all the way through Paul's writing, we, 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 all the way home. Uh, we uh, have received uh, uh, grace and apostleship, he's going to say in Romans. We have this ministry. Uh, we are ambassadors of Christ. We do not lose heart. We are persecuted. We are uh, uh, arrested. We are beaten. We are afflicted. But it is for uh, your uh, benefit. Corinthians, you with me? We are afflicted in every one, but we do not lose harm. We're afflicted, it is for your comfort. And so in 520, two groups, 521, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, so that we may be the righteous God of him. And working together with him, we exhort you not to take the grace uh, uh, of God in vain. And then he quotes Isaiah 49. Isn't that interesting? Because God rescued the servant, sent the servant to rescue the servant so that the servant could proclaim his goodness to the Gentiles. Was Paul called as an apostle set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand uh, through the scriptures, Through uh, I'm sorry, through the prophets in the scriptures concerning the son, who was, uh, can't multitask and talk. Uh, uh, by the resurrection, was declared a son by resurrection from the dead, according to the spirit of holiness, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all of the Gentiles, his namesake. Who's the we? Is the we in Romans, the Romans? No. A couple of times he says, we all. Why, why does he say, we all? Then he, he and that. Because he has to have a way to distinguishing we and y'all. We and y'all, or we and you, depending on what section i am getting. But every once in a while he says, we all. All who believe in Christ, that type. Does that make sense? If you don't have a we all or or a statement of all who are justified that make sense Mm good now first i thank my god through jesus christ for y'all for y'all's faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world for god who i serve in my spirit in the preaching of the gospel of his son is my witness how unceasingly I make mention of you in my prayers, uh, always in my prayers, if perhaps now at last by the will of God I may succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you in order that I might impart some spiritual thing to you so that you may be established. We'll talk about that. That is, that I may be encouraged together while among you, each of us, by the other's faith, both yours and mine. Um, for I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I planned to come to you, but so far have been prevented, so that I may obtain some fruit from among you also, even as among the rest of the Gentiles. What's he talking about? Let me show you. Um, what we do, you know, fruit. You know, so so we have fruit theology, right? We've got all kinds of fruit. That you didn't know about. You can tell them by their fruits. All right, you got all these fruit verses. None of it in contents. By the uh, way, uses the same. Okay, so flip over to chapter fifteen. Look, all this is is an encouragement. Uh, uh, all this is is a, it's an encouragement to get you to read fifteen twenty two. For this reason, I have been hindered in coming to you. You think he's still talking about the same thing? He's in the same letter, written to the same people, saying the same thing. But now, with no further place in these regions, uh, since I have had for many years a longing to come to you, whenever I go to Spain, uh, I hope to see you in passing and be helped uh, uh, on my way uh, there by you. When I first enjoyed the company of uh, your, your company for a while. But now I'm going to Jerusalem, serving the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. Yes, they were pleased to do so. And they are indebted to them. They, Gentiles, are indebted to them, the Jews. For if the Gentiles have shared in their spiritual things, remember that spiritual things he was talking about, that I may impart some spiritual things to you? You'll say, Uh, so in other words he's going to come and share the gospel with them clearly so that they get it but before he comes he's going to send a letter to write it, so that they get it they are indebted to minister them in material things therefore when I have finished this and I put my seal on their fruit on this fruit of theirs what's the fruit what's the fruit Save souls. Yeah, it's a, it's a, uh, no fruit is not save souls. No, it's money. Oh, <laughs> yeah. This is what he's doing, and all that he's going from uh, uh, turn over to Second Corinthians chapter five. So, so when you understand what Paul's doing here, uh, chapter eight. Now, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God which was given in the churches of Macedonia. <laughs> he's going from Macedonia to Achaia and he's taking up a gathering to take it to the saints who are in person. The, the, the believers, the Jewish believers in Jerusalem who were being persecuted. So he's going to help them. Because if the Gentiles have benefited from the faith of the Jews in Jerusalem, spiritual they're indebted to them, then they should help them with physical things. So he's gathering fruit to take it to them so that he could encourage them. With me? And so he's writing to the Corinthians, he's saying, Oh, by the way, let me tell you about these Macedonians. <laughs> they didn't have anything. I mean nothing. They couldn't wait to make a contribution to help the saints in your you be ready to do the same, he says. This is where they were setting it aside every week so that when he showed up, they'd be sure to have it so that they could help the saints who weren't taking a contribution every week to build a bigger building. Are you with me? Okay. All right. Back to Romans. Okay. So, Paul? Uh, yeah, we can't. So, uh, so, um, uh, so so, Paul is writing to the Romans. Why is he writing and not coming? He's been prevented. Why is he, well, what's preventing Paul from? Paul is, is not coming to them. Because he's going around the countryside taking the contribution to take it back to Rome. I'm sorry, back to Jerusalem. You with me? Okay. Is he not coming to them because he's ashamed of the gospel? No. No. The antagonists, the people causing problems in Rome, are going to say, Let me tell you why Paul's not coming. He's ashamed of the gospel. Skip down to verse 16. Mm-hmm. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. I say all, rather than every, because the word it's pas ponta it pas is all. Okay? Um, the Jew first, and then the Gentile. Why the Jew first? Because Jesus said to go first. <laughs> Who was the first to believe the gospel? The Jews. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Israel, <laughs> right? The whole Old Testament. Then the Gentiles. Why then the Gentiles? Why were the Gentiles brought in? Because Israel rejected their own cross. Paul's going to explain that. This is the letter That's what he's saying. So he's defending his gospel against the Jewish nonbelievers. Yeah. Where Paul goes, who are the people causing problems for him? The Jews. Jews. Why? Is Paul saying, is Paul running around saying, hey, I got this new cult I'm starting. It's called Christianity. Does Paul view what he's doing as a new religion? Not at all. No. No. What how would Paul view his what he's teaching? It's not a new religion. That which was foretold has come. So, Israel, what do you need to do? Repent. Peter says to Israel repent john the baptist says to israel repent the old testament prophets say to israel repent hey, yeah repent repent uh jonah says go on a mission trip but everybody else says repent no 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 <laughs> Jonah says repent the book of jo- the book of jonah is written so that israel would read it and repent because whenever israel rejects the gospel you would have to man of the Lord goes over to the Gentiles. And you know what the Gentiles did? Elijah. Remember Jesus being questioned about this Is it when they reject Jesus, Matthew chapter 11, Matthew chapter 12. And he says, He says, Elijah, Elisha, Jonah. He gives a three example. Queen of Sheba. Elijah. Why Elijah? There are many other widows in Israel. And Elijah didn't go to India. Went to a Gentile. People who were suffering from leprosy in Israel. And Elisha didn't go to India. Went to a Gentile. And the men of Nineveh repented at the preaching of Jonah. And something greater than Jonah is here. Hmm. Even the queen of Sheba saw. Whenever Israel rejects the gospel, goes to the Gentiles. And they believe. Yeah. Why do they believe? They don't even know why they believe. They don't have the first clue. Someone shared the gospel with you. Uh, you're a sinner. Uh, you're going to hell. Jesus died for your sins. And you went, okay. I believe. Now, could you explain it? Not really. What caused you to be convicted of your sin? Holy Spirit. What caused you to believe? Holy Spirit. What did you believe in? Jesus. Did you explain it all? Not much. I got students who've been in seminary for Graduated from seminary. They still don't have a clue. Right. Um, um, Jesus Christ. Uh, I, I hadn't I had a seminary student yet walk into that seminary and tell me what Christ did not one. Anointed one. Okay. That's just the meaning of the word. But where does it come from? Title. Where is it? Old Testament. It's Old Testament. Son of God. So we have faith seeking understanding. And so what Paul is doing is he's explaining to the Gentiles the whole Old Testament. Let me walk you through this. And not only is he explaining it to the Gentiles, he's explaining it to the Jews who are saying that he doesn't get it. He says, wait a second. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For is the power of God into salvation for all who believe the Jew first and the Gentiles. For in it, right? Get to what he says there. One, uh, cha- uh, for chapter one, verse 17. For in it, in what? In the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed From faith to faith, what does that mean? From the faith of Paul to the faith of the Gentile, from faith to faith. As it is written, you see that your Bible probably translates this, but the righteous man shall live by faith it is not what it says. If you have a literal translation, read it for me. You know, some Bibles have literally, it says this. What is literally, what does it say? He who is righteous by faith shall live. Now that's different, isn't it? I don't know. I'm going to have a talking with these Bible translators. Uh, but he who is righteous by faith shall live. What's the point of Paul's whole book here? That. He who is righteous by faith shall live. When? What? Eternal love. What does that look like? Talk to him. Going around in heaven forever? And the angel wing? No. What does it mean? Knowing God. Resurrection from the dead. Eternal life. A resurrected body. Not spiritually floating around, dismembered, just you know, removed from your body. Man is body spirit. Mm-hmm. This is called dead. This is called life. So right now you are living, heading towards death, waiting for resurrection. That's why resurrection has always been orthodoxy, immature, church. Floating around in heaven is paganism. Every uh, culture had a view of the afterlife, dismembered afterlife. Pharaoh floating around, bodyless forever. Resurrection from the dead, eternal life. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who is the truth and unrighteousness. He's talking about the fall. He's starting with the fall because that which is known about God was made evident to them, or made evident with them, and God made it evident to them. For since creation of the world is invisible attributes, eternal power, by nature, clearly seen, understood. So they were without excuse. Even if they knew God, they did not honor a man's God. Sound like Adam and Eve. But exchanged, uh, but, but, uh, or give thanks, but uh, became futile in their expectations. Their foolish heart became darkened. Professing to be wise, wise, they became fools. Wise. Remember, uh, this is Satan's enticement. Uh, She saw uh, the the fruit, that it was good uh, for food, good to make one wise. The word there is Shaquille. It's easy to remember because Shaquille will need it. Uh, Shaquille. Uh, Claimed to have the wisdom of the God. There's only one who's going to come on the scene who actually has this wisdom. It's in Jeremiah 22. It's a cross. For professing to be wise, they became and exchange the glory of the incorruptible God for the image in the form of corruptible men. Was Adam and Eve, were they made in the image of God? Did they exchange that image? Is it what it says here? No. Yes. Exchange the glory of the corrupt, incorruptible God for the image of the form of corruptible men and birds and they. If you track the word image throughout the Bible, it disappears after chapter 9. Chapter 9 of Genesis uh, says God created Adam in his image. Never used again throughout the rest of the Old Testament for any man. Used for idols. They worship uh, idols. Raven, what's the word? Images. Uh, the word in the Old Testament translates into Greek, icon. There's no icon. There's false icons. The story is waiting for the true icon to appear. Guess when the icon language shows back up? Look who would be an icon? Who's the icon of this thing? Jesus. Mm-hmm. He's the icon. And what's he doing? We know not yet what we will be, but when he appears, we shall. Oh, you know, yeah, I can't. He'll restored. All right? Through faith. With, right? So he exchanged it. While your sin nature is just replete and worthy of death. For this reason, God gave them over. Goes down through this whole thing, you, you know. And, and this is just the Old Testament in some. This is the human condition in some. You with me? Therefore, you are without excuse. Every man among you who passes judgment. Now, who is the one passing judgment? I want you to notice this you is not plural. This you is singular. Every man among you who passes judgment and that you judge another, you condemn yourself. Uh, and we know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who do such things. We know this. We who? We who have received grace and said for the bringing of God. And do you suppose this, O oh man, that if you pass judgment and do the same thing, you'll escape through judgment of God? because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart. Does that language sound familiar to you? Mm-hmm. Old Testament. Right? So the you singular, he continues. Uh, look at what he has, verse 17. But if you call yourself a Jew and you rely upon the law and you boast in God and you know his will and approve the things that are essential, being instructed out of the law, and are confident that you yourself are a guide to the blind and the light uh, to those in darkness a corrector of the foolish a teacher to the immature having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and of truth you therefore who teach another do you not teach yourself you preach, don't steal do you steal you boast in the law through your breaking of the law do you not it? for the name of god is blasphemed among the gentiles because of you jews that is a quote of Ezekiel 36. Circumcision is of value if you do the law, but if you don't do the law, what's the point? And if the Gentiles who do not have the law do instinctively do the things of the law, these not having the law, they become the law unto themselves and if they show the works of the law. So what's the point of being a Jew? Almost like he's walking you right through the logic train, right? The rebuttal will be, and what's the point? Great in every respect. First, they were entrusted with the oracles of God. What does that mean? It means they were entrusted with the oracles of God. God did not reveal himself to the Gentiles. Are you with me? What then, if some did not believe, some of who? Israel, right? This is in chapter 9, chapter 9, chapter 10, chapter 11. He's going to explain the some that did not believe. Out of the same lump, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable use, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. So they were broken off because of unbelief. And then what happened? The The natural were broken off. The wild branches, that is the Gentiles were grafted in. But if God broke off, the natural branches, is he not able to graph them back in? So he will. He's going to keep his promises to them. That's what he's going to do, right? He's already talking about it. Okay. So two through eleven, it's a continuous argument. It's not eight through eleven, it's two through eleven. Tracking. Um Yes, here's the argument. The Jew, why does the Jew think he's right think he's righteous? The law. the law chosen. People of God, Jew, law, Paul says, so right? You are not justified because you're a Jew. You're justified just as Abraham was justified. You guys said, What has Abraham our father? Don't miss that. Found. Who did I say we and our was? The Jews. Paul, oh, he's Paul. Paul, we have received grace of the apostleship. Our father. Now, he's, t- he's saying, you, you do, you single, you, if you do this, then you are not a child of Abraham. Our father is Abraham, not yours. You think that might get him a little work done? Woo. That's a shot across the bow. And they, these Gentiles, children of Abraham, the, our father Abraham has found that you're justified by faith, not by works of the law. Since by works of the law, so shall, shall no one be justified. Same argument, same thing. And so he explains to them uh, that all are guilty, all are guilty. All in this book is who refers to who. From the shame of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe, the Jew first and then the Gentile. So when he says all are guilty, what's he saying? Both the Jews and the Gentiles are guilty. Uh, would the Jewish guy in this story, the antagonist, understand that the Jew, that the Gentiles were guilty? Of course. That's not possible. That's a given. We knew that. They must have had Mike in their day. And clean. Right. <laughs> They had Mike and Klinglers in their day, Gentiles uh, who were uncircumcised and unclean, and they said, Phew, trouble. Okay. <laughs> uh, but what did he of himself? Justified, righteous, chosen people, keep the law. If Mike or David wants to be justified, clean, uh, you know, we had to be circumcised and with the law. Paul says, uh -uh, uh-uh, uh-uh. Abraham, our father, was justified before the law was ever given. And David, David was justified even after he broke the law. So it is not justification through law. It is justification through faith apart from works of the law. And because you're justified by faith, apart from works of the law, you're not under condemnation, but we have peace with God. And you are still under his reign. Now, he's not even addressing the, the Gentiles, the Romans. This is the hypothetical you. If you do this, then you need to hear my argument. You're under the condemnation of God. But for those who are in Christ, there is no condemnation. them that's why i'm sharing the gospel to them he explains then in chapters 9 10 and 11 that it is because of israel's rejection they were cut off the gentiles were brought in god's able to do it he's able to bring them back in then in chapter 11 verse 13 he turns his focus to the gentiles again and starts to talk about a plural you Therefore, I'm speaking to you who are Gentiles in so much as I magnify my ministry. Are you me? So he's talking now to the Gentiles. And he's going to say, so how do you respond, Gentiles? Y'all present y'all's bodies as are living in holy sacrifice. Be renewed in your mind. And you start to give them imperatives for how they live in light of the fact that they have believed the gospel of Paul And therefore, they have a future hope of deliverance. A future hope of deliverance. A present promise, but it's a future deliverance. It's interesting to hear Paul's language of how he talks about salvation. He doesn't talk about it in the past tense. He talks about it in the future, in, the, in the, not the future tense either. He talks about it in the perfect tense. It is a past thing that happened with a future resolution. Are you saved? Well, yes. How do you know? Because you perceive a down payment of the Holy Spirit. Promise. Concealed by the Spirit. And protected or that day, seal, sign, right? Are there signs on the other side? Oh yeah, there's gonna be signs on the other side. We're gonna get to that, revelation. You ready? So you're sealed for a future deliverance. When does that deliverance come? Resurrection. When the King comes. So, so let's go back to this gospel. Let's finish with this, this gospel. So what is the gospel? You have been taught your whole Gentile church life that the gospel of Jesus died on the cross for my sins. That's certainly in the gospel, but that's not the gospel. No good news in that, right? Jesus died for your sins. So, Mike, how's that going? It's really not. You' getting older, yeah, yeah, grumpier. Oh, really nice. I was waiting for something to be with. You. Yeah, I'm getting grumpier, bad. It's not. This is it not going well? Yeah, I'm kind of salty about it too. Yeah, older, fatter, grayer, out of shape. I've got these things called what, some kind of bunion paper. What, what's going on? <laughs> Yeah, I'm positive. I am positive. I'm positive I got a bad attitude. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You have a future hope. Future self. Future But all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will what? Suffer. Will be persecuted. So your hope is a future hope. It's a coming hope. It is a, a, it was began with your salvation, Paul's going to say, this introduction into the faith in which we now stand. As we wait for the King. I consider the present suffering not worthy to be compared to the glory which is to be revealed. The redemption of the body, resurrection from the dead, eternal life, that's what we're looking for. When no one unpure, impure, no one unclean, no one uncircumcised has any foot on this planet. None. No longer any suffering, no longer any tears, no longer any death, no longer any sorrow. It's all done. Now that's good. We're not there yet. We're the promised And so, if you were writing these letters, if you had this theology, and you understood this, and you were writing to believers in the first century. What was going on in the first century with believers? First century. Or 20th century to believers. What would you tell them to do? Endure. Fight the fight. Keep the faith. Run the race. Just as I did to Timothy. You think Paul would tell you the same thing? Oh, yeah. Yes. He might not tell you to preach the Word because you might not be a preacher. But he would assure you uh, that everyone who faithfully went, who faithfully finishes, just as Paul did, will receive the crown of righteousness, which the righteous king will reward on that day. And not only to me, but all those who, what, remember? Love his appearance. Love his, appearance. Love, his appearance. love his appearance. Why do you love his appearance? That's when you're going to have to then walk Buckle up. What are they going to do? They're going to try to kill you? Yep. Persecute you? Probably. Hate you? They always hates believers. Started with Cain and A. Nothing changed. So get ready. How do you respond to your enemy? Like you. <laughs> well, you were an enemy. Says while we ran, Christ died for us, and then Christ died for us so that we can go tell others that Christ died for them, and we're we are the them. Does that makes sense. so We do this. This isn't hard, um, but if we don't know the story, then we won't be able to make sense of the end. living. Making sense. Is this getting clear? Right. And so, does it apply to us? Oh, of course. Is it written to us? No. It, these these books were not written by us. So You're not the author. You can't you put yourself in the I group or the we group. They weren't written to us because we're not Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Romans, Jews Paul, Peter, or uh, I'm sorry, uh, Titus or Philemon or Timothy or Theophilus. Or we're not in the seven churches. But they were written for us, for our instruction. And they are just as applicable today as they have ever been. But we have to understand first so that we can apply. Right? Does that make sense? Good. Tracking along. Next week. Okay. So if we if feel like we're solid, next week what I want to do is I'm, I'm assuming that this raises questions uh, about verses or Passages or whatever. Okay? If it does, that's okay. Uh, feel free to ask so we can put those in context. We can help you. Once you start reading in context, all of these books are going to start to make a whole lot of sense. You're going to be, oh, wait, this actually, I can actually read. Uh, then uh, we're going to move into uh, the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation has a ton of imagery. All of the imagery in the New Testament comes from the Old Testament. Does that make sense? Okay. So if you have any questions in the Bible, English Bible, turn left. We're going to be at the very end of this story, and so if you have a question, you're going to have to turn left. How far left? I don't know. You turn left till you get to the beginning, and if you don't find the answer, then read slower. <laughs> Sound out the big words. Remember what we said. It's not written to you, not written by you. Good? Okay, so so questions first next week, and then uh, we're going to jump into Revelation. One minute, quickly. Revelation. Uh, look at Revelation chapter one. Let me show you how this book divides, okay? Revelation chapter one. Um, this is in uh, verse... Uh, nineteen 1 nineteen. John is instructed to write the things that you have seen and the things which are and the things which shall take place after these things. Okay? So the things that he has seen, that's one through eighteen, the things which are. It's 12 o'clock. The letters to the seven churches, chapters two and three. And the things which shall take place after these things. Look at chapter four, verse one. What does it say? After these things, I look and behold, okay? Things which you have seen, one through 18. Things which are, chapters two and three. And things which shall take place after these things, right? Four through 22. Good? I'm going to close the word of prayer. Lord, thanks for today. For our time together, um, for our church, I'll continue to pray for our pastor, our leadership, and for our testimony in the midst of a mess of a month, which w- will get worse. But the Lord encourages us uh, to remain faithful. Thank you for those who are online, those who are scattered today. Lift up Todd to you as he's preaching today. Lord, we thank you. Thank you. Give us the opportunity to study, come together as the body of Christ. So for all this, we give you great thanks to your Son, who loved us and laid down his life.